You're listening to Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders. So data virtualization has been on a lot of the components of it, such as the caching technology, such as the database technology that underlies it, the extraction layer technology, the networking technology. You know, all of those have certainly increased over the years. The capabilities there has strengthened the cost gotten cheaper. Data virtualization has been around for decades and it's always been controversial. In the 1990s, it was called virtual data warehousing, or VDW, or as some skeptics like to say, voodoo and witchcraft. It's also been known as query federation, and more recently, data services. The idea is that business users don't need to know the location of the data. They merely need to log into the data service and all data appears as if it's local to their server, modeled in a fashion that makes sense to them. Today, we're very fortunate to have Andrew Sohn as our guest. He is Global Head of Data and Analytics at Crawford & Company, a $1 billion service provider to the insurance and risk management industry, where he designed and leads its data and digital transformation strategy and program. With more than 25 years in the industry, Andrew has served in technology executive roles at many organizations, including Bank of America. His experience encompasses a broad range of infrastructure and application technologies, especially digital technologies, analytics, and data architecture. He's a strong advocate of data virtualization technology and believes it is an integral part of a modern, agile data ecosystem. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thanks, man. It's good to be here. I know we've been trying to schedule this for a while, so I'm glad we were able to uh, finally make this happen. Yeah, likewise. So a lot of our listeners are intrigued by the possibilities of data virtualization, but many have been burned by it in the past or think it's overhyped or too good to be true. Now, you've implemented these technologies. What do you think? Well, first of all, I'm surprised a lot of the readers actually heard about data virtualization. I still think it's uh, pretty much of a uh, unknown type of technology where they get a mix up with data visualization. I still run into uh, most people who really have uh, no idea what it is. So, um, you know, it's still one of those things that's really not not well known. And, uh, and you know, I think there, there have been some issues in the past, but I think that's been kind of the same way with any of the technologies that have evolved over the years. For some reason, I've been in a lot of presentations about machine learning recently. And one of the things that have come up there has been machine learning has been around for a while. Why machine learning now? Why all of a sudden has it been uh, become popular now? And they talk about, well, all of a sudden, the, the computational algorithms and the computational costs and the platforms have all of a sudden become available and has become cost-effective because of the shared platforms like AWS and, and uh, the Microsoft platforms and the, uh, and the infrastructure has become easier to, to use and become more available and the skills have become more available. So all of a sudden, machine learning has become much more of a accessible type of technology and has become better. And you know, the same thing is happening with other technologies, and thus the same thing has been happening with the uh, evolution in data virtualization. You know, like any technologies, it's, uh, it was really as strong as the weakest link. So data virtualization is dependent on a lot of the components of it, such as the caching technology, such as the database technology that underlies it, the extraction layer technology, the networking technologies. 
So all of those have certainly increased over the years. The capabilities there have, have strengthened. The costs have gotten cheaper. The um, intellectual property and the technology and the paradigms have gotten better in doing those things. So all in all, you know, the capability of data virtualization has gotten better as a package. So therefore, the you know it's become much more useful. So in the past, it hasn't been as good. So now uh, it has become much more of a useful technology and is continuing to evolve at a more rapid pace. So it is definitely something that people should be looking at. So do you think it's ready for prime time? Uh, definitely. It's definitely something, as you said, that I've implemented and uh, I know some other people have implemented and uh, for the proper use cases, it's certainly uh, something that, that works for those use cases. So, yeah, let's dive into that then. What are the use cases that it's best for? And, and maybe you could give some examples of how you've implemented it. Sure. So, data virtualization, it's one kind of tool in the, the toolkit of a good data architecture, of a good information architecture, uh, where you're solving business needs. And, uh, you know, the use cases where you're really looking at data virtualization are those particular areas where you do not need to actually move the data itself. The data can stay where it is and you don't have a need to replicate that data where you have the operational systems that are reasonably efficient to actually process the, the data that you need to carry out a particular use case where you're trying to trying to get real-time data from systems. And then you have a need to bring multiple systems together that kind of can play into this infrastructure together to bring together the data from these you know, systems in a real-time manner. And to be able to do analytics reporting on that data set at that time or to do some kind of then uh, provisioning or, trans or, or transformation to that data set where you're then bringing it downstream to some other business. So it's really being able to uh, use the data in place as much as possible and using the power of the operational systems where that data uh, resides, uh, using an abstraction layer and putting that data together and then acting on that data. So it's very different than some other models where you're kind of acting on the data after you do that data. Right. So I remember in the early days of data warehousing, uh, it was pitted, you know, data virtualization was pitted against that. And we called it virtual data warehousing. And some of the skeptics uh, called it voodoo and witchcraft. <laughs> um, and uh, because the whole point of data warehousing was to offload queries from uh, the operational systems, right? So why do you want to put the burden back on those operational systems? So I guess you have to pick your use cases pretty selectively in this case. So, uh, you know, in your experience, would you say that, you know, data virtualization is kind of a, a, a tactical tool that you'll use to solve specific use cases where it just really doesn't make sense or it's too expensive, you don't own the data, you can't get it in real time where you would otherwise do a data warehouse, right? Or is it more strategic? Can you build your whole data architecture on a data virtualization backbone? Well, I definitely think it's both. So like any technologies that you have, you, you, can, you, you can introduce 
uh, technology into a legacy environment and get benefit from that technology. So you can definitely introduce uh, data virtualization into kind of your existing ecosystem and, and get some really significant uh, value uh, from what you're doing. But also if you are looking at a, at a strategic view and you're looking at designing a kind of next gen generation data architecture where you're introducing a tool like data virtualization along with a tool like a you know, API platform where you actually are moving things and a data lake uh, where you actually do move and reside the data. You put those three things together, you know, then you have more of a strategic process uh, and you use the, you use the, the different elements for the particular fit for purpose function that they have. So there are definitely, you know, so you a data virtualization for both tactical and strategic purposes uh, there. So you, know, you definitely you know, don't want to limit it to either one of those functions. Right, so I think, I think you just laid out your, your approach to data architecture. I think it's a three-legged stool. <laughs> You, you mentioned uh, that probably uh, the ideal data architecture has a data lake, a, a data warehouse, I think you said, uh, when you mentioned APIs, right? And then uh, and then data virtualization. Is those three things constitute a, a, a stellar data architecture in the modern world? Did I get that right? Uh, some of those things, let's say I sort of said that offhand, but there are definitely some uh, more things that go along uh, with it, if it's there. But... So data virtualization would, you know, would definitely be a component that I would put as part of my uh, architecture. Your uh, abstraction layer, your uh, a, a API strategy with a with a very robust API management platform, a data lake strategy, a data repository strategy, or <laughs> as you put it, a uh, data warehouses or data marks uh, that have been processed for various purposes. I'm sure there are some ones I forgot here. So I think I was putting words in your mouth because uh, when you said API management, that's not something we normally hear in the context of data analytics. Uh, unless you've got real-time applications that need access to your data. So maybe you could elaborate on what you mean by that API management layer. That's a new one for me. So uh, this is more broader than a uh, API management than a data analytics through the strategy. Uh, Kind of more as type of as as a data provisioning strategy to making sure that the right data is available to the right systems at the right time, whether they be on a transactional need basis or or on a analytical need basis or on a you know, reporting basis. So being able to discover where that data is, being able to make sure that you have the right. Uh, governance and access controls to that data, uh, being able to get that data in the right format that you need that data, um, being able to do all the other controls that you need around that data, and then being able to you know, move that data around to where you need that if you know some facts, if you do need to you know, move that data instead of using that data in place. So the whole API strategy is part of a complete data architecture. And that is you know, one of the things that you know, some of the data virtualization tools do provide you also is API uh, interface, you know, to that layer of abstraction so that it, it can play 
in that more robust data provisioning architecture. Right. So that makes that makes a lot of sense, especially if you start talking about data virtualization as a data service, right? That it's kind of like, exactly, like yeah. your you know electrical utility. You just turn the light on, which is the API, and you get access to the current. In this case, you get access to the data, not only in a data warehouse, but wherever it lies, or at least wherever the data virtualization tool has got its fingers into. Right. So I think you I'll kind of you bring up a point, and maybe a, a a another kind of um, you know one of one of the legacy uh, you know thoughts about the data virtualization, right? I think you know the the uh, history of data virtualization, I think, does come from data warehousing and with reporting and analytics, data world, and uh, yeah, and that is definitely uh, you know one thing that it is good for. In each case, it's good for, but it also does have the hooks, the uh, modern ones especially, where it is useful in the right use cases to provision for more transactional systems also. So it is, you know, if you do have the backend systems that do have the sufficient horsepower and the sufficient SLAs and all those kind of things to provide data, you know, as it needs to provide data and you have all the other components in place, I mean, there isn't anything that prevents you from using this technology to do more real-time application integration also. Now, this does you know, kind of you know, uh, overlap somewhat with some of those API platforms. You have to really understand when to use those versus when to use a more robust API platform or even a MDM platform, say, or some of those things. Uh, but there are use cases where it is much more efficient to use a tool like this uh, for those use cases. Right. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I would imagine that those types of use cases where there's more of the application is uh, using a lot more data and, and, and might be for more of a analysis purposes, uh, as opposed to, you know, record by record type of uh, retrieval from a transaction system. Uh, but let me let me ask uh, another question, spin this another way. You've been talking about, you know, the uses of data virtualization, but when should you not use it? When should you avoid it? Sure. Yeah, and that's uh, like any of these tools. There's uh, it's really important to know when it's not good to uh, to use. So, you know, one of the things that uh, you know we talked about and I keep mentioning is that you know it's uh, it's really good to use where uh, you don't need to move data out of the operational system. So, I mean, there are many times where there are where you do want to move data from system A to system B or out of the operating systems because, as you mentioned, really there there are issues with source systems or the system records where you do want to move the data. So that system should not be a target of the data virtualization. But one of the more significant reasons is that the abstraction and integration of data virtualization are typically simple transformations. Uh, that, that you would do between two or three uh, different systems. If you really need to do some complex uh, manipulations of the data between the systems and uh, you know, mastering of data or cleansing of data between systems that you're trying to bring together, then you, you really need to use a much, you know, a, a robust ETL tool in order to uh, bring the data together, and instead of using a data virtualization tool, you really would have to run it through a you know a full-fledged ETL tool and go through that, and and then persist 
that cleansed or transformed data in, in, into some kind of persistent store. And then either use that, the resultant set, as part of a, a data virtualization target, or just you, you know, or use that as your resultant set. You know, th those are cases there. Also, transactional standpoint, you know, they really, the, I mean, the three side is really reading data. When you are reading data and you're not doing transactions, that, you know, again, data virtualization is, is really geared towards that. While there are some, you know, while you can write data to using most of these, these tools, it's not really meant for heavy transaction processing for the most part and not and doesn't really have those hooks for you know, rollbacks and those types of things. If you need to really have a robust transaction processing systems and logic and you care about those types of things, you wouldn't want to use data virtualization. So uh, you know, those are just some of the cases that you wouldn't use. Right, right. So I guess that's when you use those more uh, API management tools or what used to be called enterprise service buses or system buses, right? Yeah. Also, and never mind, just, just one more thing. And one thing that when you use ESBs or API uh, management tools for that is that also, also they're not you know really meant to to uh, orchestration of events there. So you know, simple you know, when. You know, you uh, you can schedule virtualization to happen, or when you know you can kick off events, or or you know one one event happens, and then the you know you you can call the you know the result and said you can call where to happen. You know, when you need to do some complex orchestration, you know when this happens, then you want a particular object to happen here, or you want this event to happen, and after this event happens, then another event happens, and you have this query happens, and you have this happens, and this, you know, and when we have that kind of chain event happens, or and that kind of orchestration happens, again, that's not really the uh, sweet spot of, of a uh, data virtualization tool. It's very simple calling type of events. Yeah, you know, I also understand that modern data virtualization tools uh, can be hybrid, and that means that you can, they can both uh, query data where it lies, as well as cache the data in a temporary store, kind of like a data warehouse, if performance is an issue. So it can do both, which is great. Uh, is that something you've seen and used? So, what I said, uh, you know, and I, I sort of caveat something I said earlier is that if the operational systems are reasonably sufficient. And uh, talked about real time. So one of the things that I've done, and we've been very successful on, is you know, we've we've implemented a lot of kind of near real time uh, solutions. A lot of the processes that we've done, you know, we we don't need results that are of the second. You know, we we are happy if we have results that are say uh, our current has a very 15 minutes or so. So instead of having queries that go back to our source systems uh, live, we do, you know, we, we do caption jobs, you know, that are current at every 15 minutes. And, you know, that has really allowed us to go from things being up to 48 hours old on our data warehouses and go to things that are 15 minutes old, which is near real time that which is, you know, kind of near real time. So we're not taxing our operational systems, but we're getting near real time data without having to really worry about what the capacity of our real time systems are. 
uh, and, and do major upgrades and worry about are we meeting SLAs and are we impacting uh, customers querying on the systems and things like that because with modern caching technologies, we're only doing a refresh of dirty cache every 15 minutes and that is incredibly efficient in providing new data into a virtual warehouse. So it's, you know, this is one of the ways that we've been able to really uh, eliminate uh, a lot of our data warehousing work with kind of real-time data going back to operational systems and minimizing the impact on our operational systems. And that's one of the major technology advances that I think the data virtualizations technologies has, has brought in the recent years with the caching technologies and very fast caching technologies using uh, columnar databases and in-memory databases to be able to really provide some very modern, quick replacements of some latest technologies. So as I talked about earlier, kind of what some of the drivers were for why some of the advancements are happening now, why it's becoming much more of a technology that can that has been advanced and it can be used now. You know, some of those advancements in in the database technology and caching technologies that can be plugged into this, you know, the paradigm of data virtualization that have really been able to, you know, to increase its just overall functionality and capability. Yeah, that, that's interesting. You know, a lot of companies are looking to move to a streaming first architecture and be completely event-driven. But what you're recommending almost is that you can take your existing data warehousing environment and wrap it with data virtualization and get almost the same benefit as a streaming first architecture because you can pull data in real time from the source systems or you can pull it and cache it every 15 minutes or 30 minutes to get near real time data. So it gives you all the options you need without having to completely you know, blow up what you have and start from scratch. Well, some of that, yeah, some use cases, I don't want to do a blank statement, but yes, that's definitely been working for us in some use cases. I don't, I, I think it might not work for us in some other use cases. But, but in that same uh, paradigm, let me give you another example of something we, we've been doing. Because we mentioned about data lake and, and, uh, you know, and, and that is being part of the architecture. One of our other architectures is, is you know, we're bringing in streaming XML data into our data lake. We're taking that streaming XML data and we're, we're, we're putting into, into a S3 bucket. So into object storage, we're wrapping that over Athena, which is you know, a uh, SQL front end on this XML streaming data. We're exposing that using Nodo, which is our data virtualization tool, and that becomes part of our data fabric. Now we have this XML streaming data, which is just part of our data fabric that anyone is just calling um, as part of any of their processes uh, in the same way that they're calling a SQL database that is from a legacy SQL server system that's 20 years old, <laughs> in the same way they're calling an Excel spreadsheet that we have exposed from this data with legacy tools that, that, and that they're calling from an, from an Oracle and that they're actually joining. So we, we have a, you know, they're joining to create a, a Tableau report. So we have, you know, a user who is creating a Tableau report that's joining 
that's when a uh, streaming XML data table, all the table doing, and to, to them, it's just a, you know, it's just a point and click, you know, through an abstraction tool using for virtualization, the kind of, uh, kind of new architecture that you can create with this type of technology. Oh, that's terrific. Well, let me ask you one more question before we end, and, and that is if someone wants to get started with data virtualization, are there any recommendations that you would give them in terms of scale or scope or types of people or skills or training? Uh, how would you get started? So I think the, the most important, I think the most important is to, uh, to really look at architectures and understand the you know, what your current architecture in your company is or in your ecosystem is. Understand you know, the nuances of data architecture that we've been talking about and what it can can do for you and what, you, what it can't do for you. Be realistic and be, be opportunistic as to say what issues you're trying to solve and where data virtualization will be able to assist you in these particular issues here. Don't look at it as a solution looking for a problem, looking at, look at, at your infrastructure or your, and look at are there problems that it can help solve and look for, you know, look for what are some of the things that it is good at that it can solve and then, you know, or that it can help you with and deal and, you know, have it help you with those things. Don't try and overload it with other things. So, and that, that's one thing uh, to, to really look at there. There's definitely some uh, vendors out there to really look at and educate yourself as to, um, you know, what are the possibilities there. I think it's, you, you do want to really look at uh, API platforms uh, versus uh, data virtualizations and understand, you know, what the differences are and when, when you should use you know, uh, either one of those technologies and make sure you are using those in the right areas there. Um, uh, or having your your uh, data architecture, and having a strong data architecture is really is really important and necessary here because you know, the doing here, any of these integrations is, is your integrating data from different areas. So just because you have data virtualization is allowing you to actually uh, logically bring all this data together here, you're still going to have the challenges of kind of once you kind of bring this data together from, uh, you know, you can kind of logically bring it together here. You're still going to have to have all the challenges of data matching and data quality and data information. And those, those aren't going to go away. In fact, it's going to be compounded. And it is simpler for you to bring the data together finally. It's going to be much harder for you to now, it's going to expose your data quality and data management issues more and your data security issues more. So it's going to be much more of a challenge to uh, deal with those issues. And you have to really have your uh, your playbook together about how you're going to deal with all those issues. So if you aren't ready for, for those, you're going to have uh, a lot of problems that you didn't foresee. Andy, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really valued your insights. Thank you, Andy. It was uh, great to uh, talk with you finally. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you want more content from business intelligence to data management to data science, browse to the Eckerson Group website at eckerson.com.